all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Okay. I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. That wasn't even a hello. It was a meow. Yeah, it was a meow. You, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Follow our Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. And you can also follow us on Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. If we ever get our shit together on Well, that. I mean, I, I can I can still stream my video game playing on Twitch. I just haven't done so yet. Okay. So if anybody's interested in seeing some of that. Are you on? Are you still doing Red Dead Redemption 2? I am. Okay. I am. Uh, I did complete 100% mm-hmm. on uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. But if anybody who has not seen somebody do that or has not seen it and is curious about it, I did not um, save past that. So I can go back in and do... I started oh, a different oh, save. Okay. So I can go back in and do what I had to do to get 100%. Because it, it did... It went to like a... Well, it took oh, me... It, it. Yeah, <laughs> it took me... It, it did like something that I wasn't expecting oh, in the game. So, okay. Yeah. Did it say goodbye and like it turn did, off? No, it did not because the game literally never ends. Now I have to find all the animals. That's what I'm working on now. I thought you already did that. No, I've got 20 left. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How many years have you been playing this game? Three years. Wow. It literally came out like just over three years ago. And that's a testament to the game that I'm still playing it three years later. It's a testament to something. To the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that much stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are probably things I still haven't seen. Mm-hmm. I, well, occasionally I'll watch a video. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, top five crazy. And, and I'm like... I haven't seen that. I'm like, oh, okay. But anyway, I'm still a little hoarse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from what now would you like to share? <laughs> well, the main thing would be um, from going to the Buffalo Bills game in Jacksonville. Glorious and, Jacksonville. And seeing a fucking goddamn nine to six fucking. <laughs> trouncing. Well, not, no, it wasn't really a trouncing. <sighs> Shit show? Yeah, that's, that's the proper terminology. Um, I looked back on the, so I am currently on, so me and my buddies, we go to a road game Mm -hmm. every year. Obviously we didn't last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably for Buffalo's sake. Maybe that's why they had such a good season last year. (laughs) But, uh, so that would be the fifth straight game I've been to where I've seen a loss. Mm -hmm. And in three of those five games, they haven't even scored a touchdown. In some of those games, nobody scored a touchdown. That's true. In two of those games, nobody (laughs) scored a touchdown. Yeah. And they lost both of those games. Yeah. So it, uh, yeah. Jacksonville was okay. Kind of reminded me of, uh, <laughs> it really reminded me of like being in like Syracuse. Like that's where I, part of it was the day we got there that Saturday night was like cold and rainy. It was like 45 degrees and rain. And no, it's like, no place looks good. In no. Cold rain. It did get nice for the game, uh, like around like halftime. Yeah, I had to take my hoodie off finally. Okay, there we go. Um, but yeah, and then um, having to leave the stadium listening to Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> fans talk shit to you, and what made it even worse is like you literally can't, like what am I going to say back? Like nothing. There's did, nothing to say. Did you guys ever, well maybe it's Dolphins fans have said this because they're in the same state, but always referred to the Jaguars as the Jagoffs. The Jacksonville Jagoffs. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I had no hostility towards them. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like, oh well, we beat you guys in the playoffs. Like that's not true. the only, The only time we've played Jacksonville in the playoffs, which is twice, we lost to them both times. Um, like the only thing we could have said is like, well, you've never made a Super Bowl, but we've oh. but we've never won a Super Bowl. So I what gotcha. the fuck does it matter? And it was basically like, all right, let's let's get out of the stadium. Like the vibe is not good. You know, I mean, just, yeah, fuck that place. And, <laughs> and, right. and, and fuck being a Bills fan. I mean, for fuck's yes. sake. Yes, I mean, exactly. I've been Christ. trying to talk you out of that for years oh, it's, now. It's not going to change. And it's not, like I ha- it's not like I haven't ever, it's not like this is the first time I've felt that way. 
but, just gonna be miserable the rest but like, of your life. But like part of the reason we picked that game to go to, I wanted to see Trevor Lawrence play because I'm a Clemson right. fan. Mm-hmm. He's Jacksonville's quarterback. Mm-hmm. And uh it was like like as sure thing of a sure thing as there could possibly be. Yeah, you for were an, very optimistic. Yeah. It was like yeah. So yeah. And that was all bad American football corn. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's why you haven't seen any posts. I did put up a post on our discussion you said, group. You let's go Bills. Yeah, and that's why you haven't seen any since. <laughs> and maybe maybe never will ever again. <laughs> what you drinking? I am drinking a delicious national local Bud Light Platinum. So what I find hilarious about Bud Light Platinum is it's, it's 6%. So much- and it's so much better than Bud Light. But how is that a light beer at 6%? It's not. It's not. But it, but it doesn't matter. It just uses the brand name. It's a platinum light beer. Yeah. Sure. It tastes, I mean, Bud Light to me, regular Bud Light to yeah, me tastes like, like shit. Yeah, you're a, This um, tastes like just above shit. There is, you know what is so funny? There's a big Miller Light versus Bud Light divide. Either people like one or the other. And then hate the other one. That's what I've noticed. I don't hate Bud Light. Like, I'll drink it, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never buy it. I'll put it that way. Mm. Like you'll, you'll, nobody will ever see Bud Light in our fridge unless somebody else put it there right. besides me, or unless it's platinum. That's right. <laughs> um, they all taste like licking the back of an envelope to me. Yeah, kind of. You got me the, the classic flavor. <laughs> golden <laughs> the envelopes. <laughs> you got me the Golden Road Brewing Mango Cart Mango Wheat Ale. I imagine they're out of L.A. Yes, they are. Yep, out oh, of L.A. Okay. Can I try it? Yeah, sure. Get it back in the koozie. Part of the reason I'm still hoarse is because of the job I work in. I work around loud machines. And you have to call out a bit. Well, you have to literally kind of shout to people, as, and that has been fun. So it's a, you normally have a very velvety voice, but it's a little hoarse. It is, a little bit. But yeah, like on, on Tuesday when I came back, people were trying to like, hey, and I and I was just like, I'd just be like, Just do hand okay, gestures. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to shout back to you just because yeah. I can't. I can't. Yeah, it won't do any good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know that horse throat feeling where you literally are trying to project and nothing comes oh, out? Oh, I've had That's that before so too. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <sighs> All right. So what do we got today? We have a listener script. Yes, of course we do. <laughs> I actually, I have, so this is week one for me um, at the new job. Mm-hmm. So far, just all, you know, admin stuff. Tomorrow I'm going to get to, so we're recording this on U.S. Veterans Day, mm-hmm. um, which I have off federal holiday. Very nice. Um, the 11th day of the 11th hour yeah, of. The 11th month. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Well, we get the whole day off, not just the 11th hour. We do. <laughs> Uh, you didn't, but I did. I did not. No. Um, I don't think I've ever had that day off for work. Oh, I think it's generally government stuff. Yeah. Um, hint number, however many. Or this about day what off I'm doing. for work, rather. Yes. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to start getting into some of the meat of my training. But um, so I had, and I had plenty of time to do a script. I just didn't. I do have an inspiration or was reminded of a topic that I want to do. Um, just a random specific one. I'm thinking I want to do one. We've kind of gone back and forth on and Oh, the one that we weren't sure if it was going to be, it doesn't fit, but I'm like, fuck it. I want to do it anyway. Oh Um, damn. Cause I had a Christmas idea. Well, that's fine. We don't have to do it. It's not going to happen soon because, because of the holidays. But then uh, wait. Well, no, I, I will, but because I have something for you surrounding that. Okay, but Chad is interested. Because oh, he wants to join us. Because he was at this particular event that we've been back and forth at. Oh, oh, I and I must be completely wrong. Yeah. I'm not talking about Wilmington. I am not. Oh, okay. No. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Oh, that'd be pretty hilarious. It would be. Well, part of it, it was is... A, it was a disaster. Part of it is because, it's like, I know somebody that was there, and they can give their perspective. I gotcha. Come on the show and give their perspective. I gotcha. So, okay. Remain, okay. Remains to be seen okay, for gotcha. the audience. You know what it is. Yeah, I do. Uh, and peop- certain audience members have requested this topic. Really? Yes. I'm not sure I remember that. Okay. Yes. And it's one we've kind of waffled on being like... bend our rules a little bit, maybe. It's our show. Fuck it. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Somebody 
did email us once like, oh, I love the show, whatever, whatever. And they did very specifically say, eh, the only thing that was a little disappointing was that you did the Star Wars episode. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, that, that was oh, just, okay. That, that was well, just that's a joke. Random, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> kind of forgot about that. That was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that my uh, responses to criticism fall very much in line. We finished Squid Game. So, fall in line with how the creator of Squid Game responded to LeBron James saying he didn't like the ending of Squid Game. The creator basically was like, well, maybe LeBron James can go create a television show and do his own ending. Like, basically, it was quite a little bit of a smackdown. Like, fuck you on that. LeBron James has got the money. That's he does, sure. and it's so he was being legit. Was like, well, why don't you do it? Yeah. Which is exactly how I respond to people. Like, well, why don't you go make your own disaster podcast for free and not get a dollar for it and put it out oh, every we, Monday for four and a half years? I missed the memo. We don't make LeBron James money. <laughs> no, I've been putting us in horrible debt for our beautiful mansion, and you never even knew it. Damn it. <laughs> Our beautiful 850 square foot mansion. It's the one. <laughs> so right. again, anyway. So listener script. This one's from Leanne. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. Yes. And this is the story of the Nidialin catastrophe. For some reason, that sounds familiar. Okay. Uh, it was not familiar to me. Okay. But, uh, oh, pics in email. Shit. I always forget to... Uh, look up the pictures here. Well, it's a professional show we're hosting. Very we're, much. Where we so. make uh, LeBron James type money. Yeah. Yes. Where's our Where's our fucking producer? Where are the goddamn pictures? It would be hilarious if this whole time we pretended we had a producer and blamed everything that we literally had a that. producer for one episode, but that's it. Who? <laughs> Sarah for our for our live. Oh, the live stream. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. She did kind of produce that. She hosted it. Yeah. Yes. All right, so this is, uh, the whole script is by Leanne. So this disaster I first learned about back in the 2000s. It's so funny to hear, like, back in the 2000s. But yes, that was 20 years ago. That's relevant, yeah. On an internet forum about the worst things people had read on the internet. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. That's that's a deep dive. That's a a dark place to (laughs) go. Um, Now remember, Leanne has, and I, oh, I'm sorry, Leanne, that I forget. Connections to Russia. Okay. I forget if. If it's just an area of interest or lived there or something. I'm sorry, Leanne. I should know. A lot of Leanne's scripts are about um, Russian disasters. Anyway, my boyfriend and I wrote this script together. Oh, nice. Although most of the history and chemistry stuff was written by him. Thank you, Leanne's boyfriend, um, who shall remain nameless, I guess. It was very fascinating to research the history of Kazakhstan. Oh, never mind about Mm. Russia. This is Kazakhstan. And the Soviet well, space program. used to be part of the Soviet Union. Yes, so. Soviet space program. So maybe that's where okay. you've heard about it. This that, is a space disaster. It does disaster. sound familiar. Yeah, maybe okay. that's... We'll, we'll see as it unfolds. So the Nidilin catastrophe, sometimes called the catastrophe at Baikonur. Leanne's very gracious and put in phonetic uh, pronunciations. Nice. Guides, was a launch pad accident that occurred on October 24th, 1960 at the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Baikonur, Kazakhstan, then part of the Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. during the development of the Soviet R-16 Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, or ICBM. Otherwise, in my opinion, known as one of the most more terrifying pieces of weaponry that humans have, Mm -hmm. along with the H-bomb, is uh, the fact that countries including us i'm sure have missiles that can like literally span thousands and thousands of miles very much including us Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah and there are occasionally times when all of a sudden it's scary like and they'll be like oh north korea's getting close and then you don't hear anything like are they (laughs) well and uh it's (laughs) my thought has always been no we live on the east coast We would be the ones that get hit first. We live close to D.C. No, an intercontinental ballistic missile cannot literally go halfway around the world, but it could get to the United States, but it would be on the West Coast because of where North Korea is. Oh, from where I see what you mean. They they have a long range, but they don't have a limitless range. Right. We would have to get hit by, like, the Middle East, which is possible, or Africa or Europe or something. 
to get us where we are. Yeah, which, I mean... None of it's good. (laughs) Just give us a few more years, we'll piss all of them off, too. Oh, sure, we're there. The exact number of dead is unknown. Ooh, but estimates range from 54 to 300 military and technical personnel who had been working on the launch preparations who were killed, making it the deadliest disaster in the history of space exploration. This would also be the first time, wink, wink, that we've covered a... Soviet disaster where the death toll is unknown. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know Basically how many... Basically most of them. <laughs> we don't know how many people were there. Yeah. I just saw Doug and Scott and Vladimir. Right. There's always... But there could have been 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, when when Leanne said a launch pad accident, I'm picturing like the cosmonauts being the one mm-hmm. to die. But no, this is no. like everybody around it. Um, so I'm imagining an explosion... I'm I'm imagining a fucking, yes, a huge explosion for that many people. Because it's not like they're... They're not right there. Right, they're not hanging around the launch Uh -uh. pad like, let's look at the sucker go. Or maybe in 1960, maybe they were. (laughs) I mean, this is all new shit back then. then, Yeah. I don't know. Um, News of this disaster was suppressed for decades, and the Soviet government only acknowledged that the accident happened in 1989, almost 30 years later. Well, it was still the USSR, too. That's, that's kind of odd. Barely, but it still was. <laughs> the disaster is named after the chief marshal of artillery and a commanding officer of the Str- Strategic Rocket Forces, Mike Mitrofon Nidilin. Oh, sorry. This is the person's name. Mitrofon Nidilin, who was also killed in the disaster. It took me a second to realize how that went. So, geography corner. Uh, Baikonur is located in southern Kazakhstan, about 200 kilometers or 120 miles east of the Aral Sea and north of the Sir Darya, which translates to Sir River, and is in a desert steppe in Central Asia. Kazakhstan itself is the largest landlocked country in the world and the ninth largest really? country overall. I didn't know that. That's hmm. interesting. So, history corner. Kazakhstan itself has been inhabited by humans since the Paleolithic era and was home to the first people known to have domesticated horses. Since then, its steppes have been inhabited by various horse-breeding nomadic groups. Though, it, Oh, our uh, listener Nicole would like that. She's a big horse person. Mm-hmm. Um, though in the, south, se- in the south, several ancient cities developed along the Sierra Darya and a branch of the Silk Road. Alexander the Great reached the area during his conquests and defeated the local Scythian tribes in 329 BC. In 1218 AD, the governor of Otrar, an old city southeast of Baikonur, murdered several of Genghis Khan's ambassadors. Where'd he go? Yeah, this was a slight strategic miscalculation since the Mongol army invaded and destroyed Otrar, Otrar, as well as nearly every city in Central Asia and Iran, killing up to 10 million people. Wow. Yeah, like I always a, knew Genghis Khan was like a name for a reason. Weird side note, I did read like um like a dissertation on Genghis Khan. It is very possible mm-hmm. that he completely changed like the makeup of human anatomy because of the amount of or human genetics because of the amount of people he killed. Like he removed so many people <laughs> yes. from the bloodline, yes. the genetic yes. pool. Wow. Like he killed so, like mm-hmm. he killed like Millions of people. Well, 10 million? Yeah, that, and that was just oh, one. Oh, no, that was just, maybe that was just in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So tens of millions, possibly. Yeah. More. So I've, and I was, I gotcha. who, so, who knows if it's true or not, but well, it's, no, it's interesting it to think about. Especially if it was genocidal, mm-hmm. like meaning of course it, it was. out certain tribes and people. Genocidal groups. was all these people knew at this time. Yeah. But <laughs> that's true because there might be other ethnicities or races yeah, that, out that, there that, that are not gone. because, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's wild. But that makes sense. By the time put, put that feather in your cap. <laughs> I changed I changed human Jeez. genetics. <laughs> By the time of Genghis Khan's conquest Genghis Khan's quest. <laughs> Sorry. The leading military power in the area of a modern of modern day Kazakhstan were the Kipchuks, a nomadic warrior tribe who had invaded from Siberia in the tenth century. Many of the Kipchaks joined the Mongol army and remained in the area after Mongol rule collapsed. The Kazakh language is a descendant of the Kipchaks' Turkic language. The word Kazakh was first used in the 1400s and comes from a Turkic word meaning free man or wanderer. 
Likely yeah. the same root as the word Cossack. Hmm. Yeah, and the back end of the word Stan is the modern day version where you just you adore somebody so much. Oh, so they're they're big fans of Wanderers. Yes. <laughs> Huge fans. They follow them on Instagram. The per oh here we go. <laughs> oh, the Persian suffix stan means land or place of. Bullshit. So Kazakhstan can literally tr- be translated as land of the wanders. Nah. We prefer fans yeah, of the wanders. Yeah, fan fans of the wanders. It's much more fun. Baikonur is a Kazakh word meaning rich soil. Hmm. So it's a rich soil in the land of the wanders. Hmm. In the 18th century, the Kazakhs came into conflict with the expanding Russian Empire which built a series of border forts to establish control over their new territories and defend against Kazakh raids, similar to the forts built by the U.S. Army in Texas to fight the Comanche. Later in the 19th century, the Russian army conquered the entirety of modern-day Kazakhstan and many colonists moved in to farm the steppe soils, sparking further conflict. During the Russian Revolution, an independent Kazakh state existed for three years before being defeated by the Bolsheviks, and Kazakhstan, and Kazakhstan, as well as the rest of Central Asia, became part of the Soviet Union. You know, the Bolsheviks are one of those words. I'm like, ooh, the Bolsheviks. Not entirely sure who they are, but the, I've heard of them. <laughs> I know, and I, I want to do... I've, I've been lazy about it, partly because it's... Anyway... I've been wanting to do much more research on the Russian Revolution because I just know so little about it. I know. It's all I, very fascinating. All I know is that the Bolsheviks were involved, and it, yes. And, uh, and, Do- the, and Dr. The... Zhivago was there. <laughs> and Anasta- Princess Anastasia's Yeah, there's family. a lot of shit. Plus, it was also happening during World War One. You know who you could talk to about that? Lee. Lee knows oh, I'm sure. But I want to like do my own thing. No, I gotcha. Um, I'm, I'm sure Lee could talk oh, to me about he, it for five days. He's good with Russian history. <laughs> yeah. So was Leanne and yes. Leanne's boyfriend. Absolutely. When Stalin came to power, he appointed Philip Goloshkin Goloshkin as governor with dictatorial powers over the local population. Goloshkin, who had risen to prominence and as the commanding officer at the scene of the murder of Tsar Nicholas II. Oh, the Romanovs. That's who I was trying to think of. Mm. And the Russian royal family decided to, quote, civilize the Cossacks by seizing the livestock they relied on for their livelihood and forcing the people onto newly established collective farms with the approval of Stalin. That sounds like, let's go back to feudalism. Uh, Very much so. This led to a famine in which at least one and a half million people died, including over a third of the ethnic Kazakhs and thousands of peoples of other ethnic groups. Or people of other ethnic groups. Many surviving Kazakhs fled over the border into China. Russians became the majority ethnic group in Kazakhstan until the 1980s. Today, some Kazakhs refer to the famine as a genocide. Yeah. Yep. Ironically, some of the descendants of the Kazakhs who fled to China have been caught up in the Chinese government's similar human rights violations against the Uyghurs, or it could be Uyghurs, I might be mispronouncing that, as fellow Turkic-speaking Muslims. After the famine, Kazakhstan was used as a place of deportation for, quote, enemies of the people, end quote, as well as entire ethnic groups that Stalin considered disloyal, including Germans, Crimean Tart. Tatars and Chechens. I'm going to go with just everybody else. <laughs> right. In 1955, two years after Stalin's death, what later became the Baikonur Cosmodrome was founded in an empty mis- empty plane as a test center for the R-7, the Soviet Union's first intercontinental ballistic missile. The name Baikonur came from a town in a completely different part of Kazakhstan and was chosen to mislead Western intelligence agencies. That's interesting. So this isn't even in Baikonur. Was, um, what year did it say Stalin died? 55? I thought it was later No, no, no. 50, uh, two years after Stalin's death, death was 55, so it would have been 53. Okay. Jeez, mm-hmm. I, I thought he died way after that. I guess not. I thought, I, knew he, I thought he died like around 1960. No. Well, I mean, that's not that long after. I guess. So who, Khrushchev took over for him? Oh, goodness. 
Gorbachev? No. no. That would have no. been way... The only reason later. I know Khrushchev is he was the the our adversary during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The only reason I know is from We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh. Alabama Khrushchev, Princess Grace Peyton <laughs> plays trouble in the I'm Suez. guessing Khrushchev took over at that time. I, I don't know if there was an in-between. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I am not up on my Russian I'm dictators. not at all either. I can tell you a lot about Russian <laughs> hockey players. But that's, I'm sure you but, can. But that's about it. <laughs> I can tell you about the flying V formation and the triple D. Uh, none of the Mighty Ducks were Russian. Not one of them. I think you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot were Minnesotan. And there was one Texan. <laughs> Yeehaw! That's right. He lassoed people on yeah. the ice. Yeah. Yes. Because that's in legal. Not games, though. Not in games. He did in games. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. No, a... it was only in trainings and in uh, street games. Uh, he got a penalty for it, like I remember. It was in D2 in the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> the quack attack is back, Jack. Yeah. God. <laughs> so the history of the Soviet space program. Although not involved directly in the creation of the space program, the spiritual grandfather was early rocket scientist Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. That was an excellent pronunciation. Thank you so much, Leanne. <laughs> who himself was heavily inspired by the works of French sci-fi authors, Jules, author Jules Verne. He did 20,000 okay. oh, okay. Leagues Under the yeah. Sea. Tsiolkovsky yeah. uh, published pioneering papers in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and in 1929 introduced the concept of the multi-staged rocket. His concepts were later tested by a group called the Group for the Study of Reactive Motion, known by its Russian acronym GIRD, G-I-R-D, um, isn't that gastrointestinal reflux disease sure. <laughs> or something like that here? Anyway, it probably is. the world's first largest professional rocketry program and a world leader in aerospace design. GERD launched the first Soviet liquid fueled rocket GERD 09 in 19, it could just be GERD 9, in 1933. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so this is, this Liquid fueled yeah, rocket, though this is going back very far. Okay, and and the first hybrid fueled rocket GERD X, and later the Katyushka multiple rocket launcher used in World War Two. Okay, so these are like not aerospace rockets. These right. are like weaponry. They're, they're missiles essentially. Weaponry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Katyushka is basically the Russian version of Katie, huh? The word like the name. Oh, Katie. okay. And also the name of a popular Russian war song. Huh. What do you want to bet Lee, Lee knows if we are like, can you sing the, word, oh, the yeah. song? He, he could probably sing it in Russian. Yes. For, oh, or yes, in, or in Cyr- so. Cyrillic. <laughs> Gerd was devastated, however, by Stalin's great purge when Stalin became paranoid that almost everyone was planning against him or was a potential traitor. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. Where have we heard that before? I wonder why you would think that after you've killed like ten, <laughs> tens of millions of your own people. Like, Jesus... Uh, John, do you think they hate me? <laughs> do you think there's people like talking about Wait, me, like do in, a, you hate me? in a bad? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna kill you just for thinking <laughs> just in about. Case. Yeah. And your second in command, and fourth and fifth, and uh, geez, I, why does everybody hate me? Yeah. Um, and ordered over a million people to be exiled, <laughs> imprisoned in chief administration of the camps, better known by its Russian acronym Gulag. I was just gonna say the Gulag. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Many of Gerd's best engineers were imprisoned in gulags and a few executed. The most talented just of those... A, just a few to keep the rest in mm. check. Uh, the most talented of those engineers, Sergei Karolyov, was arrested after being accused of deliberately slowing down the group's work. This accusation, however, probably came from another poor unfortunate soul who was tortured into giving a forced confession. Uh, Karolyov was sent to the... Kolyma region to mine gold. The gulag in this area was once described by a Russian author as the ninth circle of hell. Wow. Sounds like a nice place. Yeah. (laughs) He was lucky enough, however, to be retried on lesser charges and was ordered back to Moscow for resentencing. According to his own words, Kuroi... Korolyov, yes. (laughs) I'm I'm keeping, like, every page that that has pronunciation guides, like, facing up, but that's like every page so far. Um, Korolyov was due to be a passenger on the SS Indigirka on his voyage back to Moscow, which later ran aground in a blizzard and tipped over in shallow water, leading to the death of over 700 prisoners on board. 
that could be an all bad thing. I was thing just going to say. In and of itself. Yes. yes, and Leanne, guess who gets to write the script? Yes, you do. That's you. That's right. We expect it. Well, no, of course, you know, that's fine. But we kind of do. It would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but arrived late and barely missed the ship's departure. Okay, so this guy, Karolyov, like, narrowly missed dying in this horrible um, uh, blizzard slash shipwreck. Wow. A blizzard shipwreck. We haven't had many of those. There's probably been plenty. Well, the Fitz... Was the Edmund Fitz... No, the Edmund Fitzgerald was... Well, yes, it was. It was during a snow event. That was literally like 200 episodes ago. I know, but its anniversary was recent. It was. It was yesterday. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that... I think it was a snow thing, yeah. Goodness. A snow thing. It was a snow thing, you know. (laughs) Category of disaster. Snow thing. Snow thing. Uh, Korolev was sent to the Experimental Design Bureau, which was a research and development laboratory within the Gulag system. Soviet officials quickly realized it was very a very stupid decision to sentence the country's best and brightest scientists, engineers, and military generals to hard labor when the Nazis invaded in 1941. Aerospace engineers began instead to design rockets and warplanes while they were still prison inmates. The missiles GERD had been working on ended up being extremely vital during the war. In 1945, the Soviets captured several of the scientists who worked on Nazi Germany's V-2 rocket program, although most, including Werner von Braun, chief of the program and inspiration for the character of Dr. Strangelove, chose to surrender to the U.S. Army instead and were later instrumental to the design of the Saturn V rocket used to launch the spacecraft used in the Apollo missions. So basically, like... The space race was between the Soviets and I know. the US, it's like the but more, it was really the Germans But you, were... the more you find out about it, like the more sickening it is. It's just... it's. It sounds like the Germans were working on both sides. Oh, so they, of really course they for, were, yeah. The Nazis got everybody to the moon, basically. Yeah. In, in a strange way, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not even in a strange way, in a direct way. Yeah, pretty much. Like, wow. You've worked on torturing people, right? <laughs> uh, we need you to we need you to figure but out what you're smart. Yeah, we need you to figure out what they can withstand. Mm. Uh you and like fifty of your other like guys over there, those guys. Alright. So did I say it was later instrumental to the design of the Saturn V rocket used to launch the spacecraft used in the Apollo missions. Anyway, in nineteen forty six Korolev was put in charge of the new OKB-1 Design Bureau with his employees, including the surviving GERD scientists, as well as the captured Germans. Korolev. Yes. You need need to watch more hockey. I do, apparently. Korolev proved... I'll just point to you from now on and you can say it. Well, I can't see the word. Korolev. There you go. Okay. Is that... That's it. I'll point to you. Proved not only to be a brilliant engineer, but a brilliant administrator who could get projects accomplished on a shoestring budget. Now, that is that is impressive in government. Like, you want to keep a person like that. It would not be an understatement to say the space that the space flights of Sputnik, that means satellite, by the way, Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, and Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space, would never have been possible without... Korolev. All of these OKB-1 projects were powered by versions of his ultimate creation, the R-7 rocket. The R-7 and its derivatives have been launched more time, more times than any other large rocket in history. And the most recent version, now see, I would have said Soyuz 2, but it's actually Soyuz. Okay. According to Leanne. So Soyuz 2 hmm. was, is still used today by space programs of many nations. This includes NASA. Nasha. <laughs> You're reading too many Russian I'm... names. <laughs> Nasha. Nasha. <laughs> NASA. <laughs> which <laughs> which used Soyuz rockets launched from Baikonur to supply the International Space Station after the cancellation of the space shuttle program. Despite the success of the R-7 and the excitement over Sputnik's pioneering 1957 flight giving the USSR a major victory in the space race, by the late 1950s, the Soviet military was demanding the construction of a new rocket design. The problem was that the R-7 was powered by liquid oxygen and kerosene. Oh, although relatively safe and cheap. I wouldn't have thought either of those things. This fuel mixture was unsuitable for nuclear weapons applications since it took too long to get the rocket ready to launch. 
Also, the R7 could not remain in a fueled battle-ready state for more than eight hours. I was going to okay. say, yeah, or otherwise it'll fucking Too explode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, would, I, wouldn't ex- I wouldn't expect it could remain in that state for more than, like, ten seconds, yeah. much less eight hours. No, well, yeah, it was eight hours. Intimidated by the Eisenhower administration's aggressive policy of nuclear brinkmanship and the U.S.'s 40 operational ICBMs, the Soviet higher-ups became worried that in a nuclear war, the U.S. would be able to destroy their launch sites before their own missiles would even be able to get off the ground. Well, that's, that's a legitimate fear. Both countries fully believed that the others propag- fully believed the others' propaganda, and both were scared shitless by it. The Soviet nuclear program had produced a range of powerful warheads, including hydrogen bombs to match those developed by the U.S. To carry those warheads, the Soviet military asked OKB-1 to sounds like Obi Wan uh, to design an ICBM powered by a mixture of unsymmetric. Hmm. There's no no uh, pronunciation here. Dimethylhydrazine, or sure. UDMH, and red right. fuming nitric acid, RFMA, since it would enable the rockets to be fueled up fast and stay battle ready for longer than the R7. However, I've worked with nitric acid. Okay. However, not in this capacity. Hopefully, <laughs> unless there's something you really don't know about me. Not in a cosmetics company. I would hope no, not. No, I'm talking about one of my former jobs. Oh, okay. However, <clears throat> these chemicals not only sound dangerous, they actually are. Yeah, they're dangerous as fuck. The mixture is extremely flammable, explosive, and toxic, yeah. and was known by some of the technicians working with it as devil's venom. <laughs> Cor- well, now I can... Okay, Korolyov. There we go. Refused to create a rocket with such an <laughs> unstable fuel, and the project was passed off to a different design bureau headed by Mi- Mikhail... Mikhail? Jung- Mikhail? Mm-mm. Oh, is there a K missing? Mm-hmm. Mikhail? Mi- no, no. Mikhail? Mikhail. Yeah, Mikhail. Mikhail Jungo. Mikhail is the Russian version of Michael Webb, by the way. Yep. Himself an accomplished designer who had participated in the development of the R-7. The Soviet space program was not centralized like NASA, or NASA, but rather splintered into a series of competing design bureaus. Huh. These could cooperate on large projects, but the lack of centralized communications sometimes proved an operational weakness. Huh. The explosion. Youngle's uh, design bureau had been working on sketches and models of the new rocket called the R-16 since 1958. Political tensions had ratcheted up in Berlin that year as Soviet leadership was increasingly paranoid of an American nuclear strike. Now, we've talked about this before and probably remember, but um, Berlin was divided in mm-hmm. East and West, hence the famous wall and all that. So it was very politically tense city to live in <laughs> for a long time, I would imagine. Just a wee bit. Just a tiny bit. Um, I think the Berlin Wall went up in 1961. I don't remember when it was constructed. I only remember when it came down. I think that's when it's... Yeah, I was... Yeah, I remember watching it when I was a little kid when it came down. Mm. Um, All right, so Soviet leadership was increasingly paranoid of an American nuclear strike. wonder why. (laughs) Youngle went to the the then-Soviet General Secretary, Nikita Khrushchev. Well, there we go. So he's a Soviet General Secretary. Oh, okay. Well, so if now if now I'm going to be a little more... It's not Khrushchev. That's the American version of it, right? It's... K-H is pronounced like a hard H and roll the R. So, so Khrushchev. No. Khrushchev. Khrushchev is just easier. Khrushchev. Yeah. Khrushchev. Plus, I seriously doubt... At the height of the Cold War, like any broadcaster Khrushchev. was interested in getting the, the last name of a Russian person correct. Khrushchev. Yeah. <laughs> in 1959. <laughs> and convinced him that the R-16 rocket would strengthen the country's national security. Although it's possible that this was a ploy by Youngle to get more funding for his design bureau. Sure. If you're like, hey, this is hey. good for my job. Hey, the, the, both things can be true. That's true. Uh, the R-16 had never been physically built uh, to size before this, but the leadership decided in a show of strength 
nationalism, and a bit of a proverbial dick measuring contest with the U.S. to build and fire the R-16 ICBM into space before November 7th, 1960, the anniversary of the October Revolution. Yeah, not even a bit of a dick measuring This is a full-on dick measuring contest. This is conflict. This is, we're dropping our pants, too. Most wars are. Yeah. Including cold ones. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially cold ones. Yeah. That's, yeah. The USSR announced the new military technology with lots of pomp and circumstance on significant holidays like November 7th. This shortened the Design Bureau's development time to build and launch the R-16 rocket, and the preliminary launches were only done on aug- in August 1960. So it's like, here's this really major volatile rocket thing we're working on. Let's speed let's, it up. Let's hurry. <laughs> Um, this, all right, uh, the commission... <laughs> Sir, this could be, I don't want to hear it. Like, come on, <laughs> snap to whatever. it. This shortened the design bureau's development, oh, blah, blah, blah. The co- I already said that. The commission overseeing the new launch was formed in September 1960, and the commander-in-chief of the newly formed military branch, the Strategic Missile Forces, this branch of the Soviet military was solely dedicated to nuclear weapons, uh, Mitrofen... Nidilin? Nidilin. Sure. Was put in charge. <laughs> I lost the pronunciation. I, I think most of our audience at this point realizes that we can't do Russian names <laughs> very well. So just... Was put in charge of overseeing the project, and Yungle was made technical leader of the tests. The team was under enormous pressure to get the rocket built and launched by the November holiday by Khrushchev, who called them repeatedly about it. Yeah. The, he's like, let's, where's that? Come let's, on. let's rush the speed of a, of a fucking volatile thing. Yes. ICBM. Yeah, that thing. The R-16 had a lot of trouble with fuel leaks from broken seals and electrical issues yeah. causing short circuits, which the builders discovered only by ear and by smell. <laughs> nope. Hmm. Proper protocol would have required the rocket be completely drained of its fuel and the rocket be taken apart so each part could be inspected, fixed, and cleared individually. But this all would have taken a month to complete and it was already. I was going to say, this is the USSR in 1960. Yes. Proper protocol is you either get it done or you're going to the gulags. Or, well, if you're lucky, you get shot. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh,. Fix this problem now, uh, get shot, or go to the gulags. Those are your options in USSR in 1960 if you're a a scientist. Proper protocol would... Oh, I already said that. Um, The builders were informed getting time to complete this would not be an option. Marshal Nidilin told them, What am I going to say to Nikita? Finalize the rocket at the start. The country is waiting for us. So finalize it when we're... I would have just it. I would have just tried to trick him and be like like you'll get the best view if you just stand right here <laughs> with all your other guys like we want you to have the best <laughs> Launch... see if that scientist was smart could have saved everybody a lot of fucking oh, yeah. trouble <laughs> Launch day was set as October twenty fourth to show his confidence in the builders and to show his fearlessness Marshal Nadielin sat in a chair about 56 feet or 17 meters away from the rocket and next to him were a that's number just, of other high-ranking military fucking, officials that's irresponsible. chief designers of the missile systems and their deputies it's yeah. irresponsible for like a fucking bottle rocket to be that that close right yeah it's hazardous <laughs> no, no it's a it's an ICBM like here i have the fifth row right <laughs> what the fuck it was supposed to be a show of confidence. Like, I was no. joking about, like, oh, we can just put them no, in this they seat. No, li- they did like, it they deliberately. Fucking... Themselves <laughs> deliberately. Christ. Proper safety protocols insisted that all non-essential personnel evacuate the area during fueling operations in case of an accident. In the highly likely event of <sighs> yes. an accident. Many tests, are, so they were sitting 56 feet or 17 meters away. Many tests and other operations were being conducted simultaneously, and safety procedures were neglected to save time. Like, Be- did they give them, I'm just wondering, like, I'm trying to think, of, like, did they give them earplugs? Ear or yes, like? that's why I would like, hope so. I, Cotton? I, I fucking doubt it. Yeah, probably <laughs> Or not. like, like, um. Goggles? Yeah. Safety like, goggles. Probably nothing. No. They're like that furry hat on that, like, that'll protect you. <laughs> Whatever that thing is made of. <laughs> fur? <laughs> I, well, what type of fur is the question? 
men all right uh because of the time pressure the engineers overlooked that an electrical component called the ptr a russian acronym for programmed current distributor had accidentally been set to the on position this component was responsible for distributing electrical power to activate the various parts of the multi-stage rocket in the proper sequence after launch. For example, firing the top second stage of the rocket after the bottom first stage drops off in mid-flight. However, before launch, the PTR should have been off. Combined with some of the electrical issues that had arisen earlier in the week and had not been fixed, the improper setting meant that the electrical circuits and fuel lines of the second stage of the rockets were now fully activated, and only one valve acted as a safeguard to prevent all engines from firing. At about 6.45 p.m., 30 minutes before the schedule launch I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> With some 250 personnel and visitors crowded around the launch pad, an engineer reset the PTR switch, according to a witness, to set it in the proper off position. However, this deactivated the valve that prevented the fuel in the second stage from igniting, and the engine activated at full power. This detonated the first stage fuel tanks directly below, destroying the entire missile in an enormous explosion that sprayed acidic chemicals across the launch complex. Those sitting closest were instant, instantly incinerated. I was just going to say, like, fucking vaporized. fireball that engulfed the rocket. Yeah. Others died more slowly as they were burned while trying oh, to escape God. through the raging inferno. Still more were able to evacuate the immediate vicinity only to be suffocated by the poisonous gases, such as hydrogen cyanide created by the fire. This is all rocket fuel being burned. When the second stage engine started up, oh, that's right, because it's still oh, going there's on. Oh, there's still another one. Automatic film cameras designed for filming the launch of the rocket turned on and captured the details of the disaster. Yes, I included the videos of it. Oh, boy. Oh, Massive explosions Jesus. continued to rock the launch pad for about 20 seconds, and the subsequent fires lasted for two hours. The blast was reportedly visible as I'm far as 30 miles, all. yeah, or 50 kilometers away. All right, let me see. Oh, we'll look at some of the pictures at least. Yeah, the Oops. video will save for us. I was because the so video is probably going to be grainy as hell. Um, Mike, that's this is the Cosmodrome. This is Korolyov. Okay. <laughs> Here are more Russians. <laughs> yeah. Mikhail Yungal, <clears throat> Mitrofan Nidyelin. This story just further goes to. There's the explosion. Oh my god! That, you can see people right there. Watch them run away from the fire. Yeah, those people probably died. This further like just solidifies my argument that we just we don't want to fuck with Russia like at all in any sense. Literally, people sat next to a rocket launch. Like like they were going That's pretty to pretty hardcore. Like they were going to a drive-in theater. Like, look, honey, the ICBM's gonna go off. Mm. <laughs> like, fuck it. Now, to be fair. I could see Joe Biden doing that, but mostly because... Well, that's because of his dementia. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. It's because he would have no fucking clue where oh, he was. Geez. But, uh, yeah, no. Like, no. We we do not want to fuck with these people, like, at all. Uh, generally. All right, so below are, some, are quoted some descriptions of the disaster from survivors. Quote, At the moment of the explosion, I was about 30 meters or 98 feet from the base of the rocket. A thick stream of fire unexpectedly burst forth, covering everyone around. Part of the military contingent and testers instinctively tried to flee from the danger zone. People ran to the side of the other pad toward the bunker. But on this route was a strip of new laid tar, which immediately melted. Many got stuck in the hot, oh sticky mass God. and became victims of the fire. The most terrible fate befell those located on the upper levels of the gantry. The people were wrapped in fire and burst into flames like candles blazing in midair. The temperature at the center of the fire was about 3,000 degrees. Jesus That's about 5,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Those who had run away tried while moving to tear off their burning clothing, their coats, and overalls. Alas, many did not succeed in doing this. End quote. Oh my god. This is brutal. Yeah, it's pretty fucking Yikes. gory. 
Quote, automatic cameras had been triggered along with the engines and they recorded the scene. The men on the scaffolding dashed about in the fire and smoke. Many jumped off and vanished into the flames. One man momentarily escaped from the fire but got tangled up in the barbed wire surrounding the launch pad. The next moment he too was engulfed in flames, end quote. People are getting trapped like fucking bugs yeah. in tar and wire. Yeah. Oh my God. And then... And then dying by fire. Mm. Or Qu- suffocation. Or yeah. Fucking... Yep. Quote, above the pad erupted a column of fire. In a daze, we watched the flames burst forth again and again until all was silent after the fires had been extinguished. Um, all the bodies were in unusual poses. All were without clothes or hair. It was impossible to recognize anybody under the light of the moon. They seemed the color of ivory. Oh, my God. The total number of casualties was kept secret and never determined for sure, but most recent estimates are in the range of 120 people dead, making the explosion the deadliest disaster in the history of space exploration. Gonna, yeah, usually it's just a few people. I'm going to go with the high end, whatever whatever the highest number, 120? 300 was like between like 54 and 300. I'll go with that one then. Answer. I'll go with 300. But if they have more recent estimates, that yeah. might be more accurate. I don't know. Marshal Nidilin was incinerated instantly in his chair closest to the rocket. Also among this dead were Alexander Nosov, who pressed the button that launched Sputnik three years prior, and Evgeny Evgeny Otashev, the engineer who helped design the booster rockets for the first artificial satellite. So these are like big names in space exploration. Some of the survivors of the initial explosion died of burns and chemical poisoning in the hospital as the military brass refused to tell the doctors what the men had been poisoned with so as not to divulge state secrets. Many high-ranking military officers and rocket scientists were killed, but Mikhail Youngall, the man in in charge of designing the rocket, was not among them. Minutes before everything went to hell, Youngall had gone outside the launch site to have a smoke break with the general and two engineers. Which is always good to do with, you know, so many chemicals. Yeah, so let's just go for a smoke. Like vapors in the air. and Fire's not going to cause any problem. You know, lighting a match isn't going to cause a problem. Um, well, apparently it saved his life. I was he, just going to say, lucky lucky him. The engineers hoped to use the time to ask Youngle to talk to Nidilin to call off the launch, since the marshal wasn't listening to the safety concerns of the scientific personnel with le- less clout. They saw and heard the catastrophe unfold from the launch site, and the other men had to hold Youngle from running back toward the fireball in a nervous, shocked state like he was going to fix it. Yeah, so like, it's like, dude, it's, it's like, dude, it's over. Like, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Youngle had the thankless job of sending a telephone message to the Kremlin informing them about the accident and that they needed urgent medical care for fire burns and nitric acid burns. Later, when discussing who had died in the explosion, Khrushchev, sorry, Leon, I know you gave me a very good pronunciation guide, asked Youngle, quote, but why have you remained alive? End quote. Youngle answered in a trembling voice, quote, walked away for a smoke. It's all my fault, end quote. Youngle later suffered a heart attack and was off work for months. Yeah, I'm sure he's like half dead from the stress of it all. So the investigation in the aftermath. (coughs) The investigation. Quote, investigation. (laughs) The next day, Khrushchev ordered the creation of an investigation commission headed by the future general secretary, Leonid Brezhnev. Brezhnev, yep, okay, down to Baikonur to investigate the cause of the explosion. Brezhnev assured the survivors that no one would be punished for errors and miscalculations that were committed, since the managers responsible for both the technical side and for operational safety were all killed, except for Youngle. One of the survivors was punished, however. A woman identified only as I.A. Doroshenko was fired and banned from ever working in the defense industry again after she testified to the commission about the explosion. She was later described as, quote, the woman who gets thrown overboard during a storm to save the ship, end quote. I don't get that. I don't get that either. Hmm. Would one woman really be weighing down the ship that much? No idea. The commission <laughs> concluded that a, quote, gross violation, sneaky, end quote. Sneaky fucking Russians. <laughs> 
A gross violation of security measures had been the main culprit for the disaster, as well as the builders being rushed through the process and missing fatal flaws with the rocket. The entire disaster was classified, and the Soviet leadership told the public and the families of the dead that Marshal Nidilin and other top military officials had died in a plane crash. Sure. Nidilin was laid to rest in the Kremlin Wall Necropolis, which was considered the most prestigious burial site in the USSR. The other top bra- brass was buried at Novodievichy Cemetery in Moscow. The second most prestigious burial site. 48 officers and soldiers were buried in a mass grave in a city park in Baikonur, and others were buried in various cities across Russia and Ukraine without honors. Despite being classified, news of the disaster leaked to the West first in an Italian news agency report in December 1960 and later reported by The Guardian in the UK of October of 65. Five years later. After the commission presented its report on the explosion, the R-16 program resumed in January of 1961, two months later, with the full first successful launch occurring on February 2nd, 1961, although the rocket fell apart over Kamchatka. The time, this time, safety protocols were followed more stringently, like making all non-essential employees leave during fueling. They only... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a good... Good, good place point. to start. Yeah. They only successfully got the rocket to fly normally in August of 1962. <laughs> normally. I mean, successfully. I wonder what abnormal <laughs> flight was. Oh, exactly three years to the day from the explosion, another ICBM exploded in Baikonur due to leaking fuel vapors, killing eight people. October 24th became an unlucky day, and the rocket workers refused to launch on that day for decades. Yungle had hopes of challenging Korolev to lead the manned space program, but the catastrophe devastated his career and most likely played a role in his deteriorating health. He died after suffering his fifth heart attack at the age of 59 in 1971. Another reason you want to fuck with Russians. They can have four heart attacks and get through it. Five. Or five, Well, he didn't get through the fifth. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And was buried in Novodievichy. Aftermath for the Soviet space program. After declining to work on the R-16 rocket, Sergei Korolev was able to focus his full energies on the Soviet manned space program, overseeing its many successes, most notably Yuri Gagarin's first space flight on April 12th, 1961. That's only five months after this. However, the stress of his job to... Let me, let me turn my attention to putting Russians in space and instead. And not launching deadly missiles. The most, uh, uh, however, the stress of the job took a toll on Korolev's health, which had already been weakened by his time in the Soviet prison camps under Stalin. He feared that Khrushchev only cared about the space program for propaganda value, you think, and that the program would be completely canceled. I wonder what gave it away. <laughs> if interest was lost in it, so he pushed himself even harder. I mean, the funniest thing is that's the only reason we were interested in the space yes. program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was true for both countries. Right. <laughs> he suffered a heart attack in 1960 and was diagnosed with cardiac arrhythmia in 1964. In December 1965, he was supposedly diagnosed with a bleeding polyp on his large intestine and was admitted to the hospital in January 1966 for somewhat routine surgery. A large cancerous tumor was discovered in his abdomen. Suddenly, during an operation, Korolev started to bleed. Doctors tried to provide intubation to allow allow him to breathe freely, but his jaw, injured during his time in the gulag, had not healed properly and impeded the installation of the breathing tube. Jesus. Korolev died without regaining consciousness two days after his 59th birthday. Okay, apparently 59 is the deadly number for all these people. Yeah, probably not the worst way to go if you're that dude and you're unconscious. His weak heart contributed to his death during surgery. Under policy initiated by Stalin and continued by his successors, the identity of Korolev was not revealed until after his death. The purported reason was to protect him from foreign agents from the West. As a result, the Soviet people didn't become aware of his accomplishments until after his death. His obituary was published on January 16th, 1966. 11 years before you. 
allowing i've accomplished <laughs> so much more than this guy too <laughs> uh showing a photograph of Korolev with all his medals and he was laid to rest with state honors in the kremlin wall necropolis the space program never recovered its full glory after Korolev's death Soyuz 1 attempted, yep, to be, we've covered that. I was going to say we did, to be the very first early man on. on the moon program in 1967, but was plagued with technical issues and resulted in the horrific death of cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov. Komarov. And two others. Three, three cosmonauts died in that. Yes. I don't think so. Yes, I'm positive. Okay, well, that's not what okay. Leanne says. You're contradicting Leanne. I'm sorry, Leanne. <laughs> I'm taking a... No contest standpoint. Plus, they are the only people that actually die in space. Or was that one, or was that a, there was there was a couple. Were there of two different? There was a couple. No, but of the, were there two disasters. different disasters? Yes. Okay. I thought there was just the one. I do not trust my memory. No, there's multiple studies. Oh. So, 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 no, no, no. So, but so, I understand that. No, but that had disasters. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. We covered the one where three people were killed in space. We've covered two. No, I want to cover the other one. Yeah. I want that. This is the one I want to cover. Okay. Soyuz one. We did Soyuz ten. One of them. Oh shit. Soyuz one we, of them. We covered one. <laughs> I think. <laughs> the program was suspended in 1969 and later canceled after the United States Apollo 11 mission landed on the moon in July 69. However, there were also several. Take successes. that, you fucking Russians. <laughs> Like launching the first robot space rover in 1970, Lunahod, which literally translates to Moonwalker, and the first modular space station in 1986, Mir, mm-hmm. which can yep. mean peace or world. Eventually, the Iron Curtain began to crumble under Mikhail Gorbachev, okay, or Mikhail Gorbachev, his policy of glasnost, which translates to transparency or openness, and government officials officially acknowledged the 1960 explosion happened in April of 1989 in a weekly news magazine. Like, oh, by the way, let's just bury this in a... It's like page 12. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? what? Oh, yeah, this happened too. Sorry. Epilogue. Today, there are two memorials that stand in Baikonur dedicated to those who died in the explosion. One is a white obelisk that says... Quote, eternal glory to the soldiers who died heroically in the performance of their military duty. October 24th, 1960. End quote. Way to polish over all the corner cutting and lack of falling. I was going to say. Like, yeah. The other is a granite stone that has the names of the dead with a poem that says, quote, we gathered their souls, souls in barren sands and carved them forever into lifeless stone. Let it preserve their names for centuries and the memory of their burning flame. Here the bearded beardless soldier and the major are on an equal footing here the renowned marshal rests with them they were alive but they died young in the fire end quote okay very factual let's not forgive nidialin was not buried in an unmarked mass grave yeah multiple streets in baiknor and cities across the former soviet union bear the names of nidialin ostashev and nosov the Cosmodrome today is still owned by the Russian government who have a lease agreement with Kazakhstan until 2050. That, my friends, was the story of the Nidilin catastrophe. What a fucking... Well done, Leanne. <laughs> yes, very well. Thank you very much for that. That was a... <laughs> like, from the get-go. Again, like, oh, we have to do this on a strict deadline. It's a fucking rocket. Let's push this, yeah. <laughs> That's... Like we need it. This is a rush job, yeah, you know. Yeah, we need, we need <laughs> nothing, it. Like, nothing wrong with that. We need it in two weeks, and you're gonna stay to that schedule, or you'll go to the gulags. So, I mean, part of it is like these people were gonna die either way, right? I, I mean, it, yeah. I it's, mean, really, it's trying to create like an extremely technical, like how the fuck thing with a gun. We're also talking head. in 1960. Mm-hmm. Like, if you. Put that on somebody today, that would still probably be a task with computers and the it internet. Still, it would fucking, still lead to this. Yeah. Because, like, you still have to cut time. Yeah. You know? No. Oh. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like, I did have one supervisor that was like, uh, let, like, dude, we are, like, I understand. Like, for me, it's like, would you rather one of us or a couple of us got hurt or right. would you and rather working in an environment with dangerous things that you have to be it's just like you know it's better safe than sorry right like oh so they're not going to get their shipment till tomorrow well boo fucking who 
you know, I, I'm sure that I'll take a, I'm sure the CEO of that company might lose a million dollars tomorrow. Oh, well. Better than losing any he's got, life. Yeah, he's uh-huh. got, well, it's us that would lose the exactly. lives. Exactly. But what does he give a fuck? Like, it's, Well, they yeah. put dollar values on human lives, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're horses, as we found out in a certain television show. Oh. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's two things we can take out of this. <clears throat> Never hurry a project that involves a rocket. <laughs> yes. And just uh, all the bullshit that has been going on for the last four or five years of, like, this Russian, like, we're trying to reintroduce the Cold oh, War. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like, stop. Stop. We don't need to go back to this shit. We don't need to go back to that, and we would most likely lose. Like, these <sighs> these people are on a mental plane that Americans just are not. And never Especially will. Especially and never and, and never will be. Like, maybe you could argue that if the... I the, fucking well, doubt it no, even no, back no, then. No, 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 Hear me out on this. Sure. So, yes, I agree that, like, basically the idea, at least this is my impression of the Cold War, is that, like... Russians are built of strong stuff because of all the shit they went through, right? It's part of it. Um, people coming out of World War II, even in America, they were built out of grittier shit than we are now. That is I'm true. not saying that they were as gritty as the Russians. I'm just saying Americans were a little hardier. Yeah. Because they saw shit. A little bit. And, and especially like veterans coming back. Us, we record on Veterans Day. Yeah. Veterans coming back from World War Two, they saw some shit. Yeah, but for Russians, World War Two, that was like Wednesday. I, I understand. I'm just yeah. saying that even back in the Cold War, I think America was slightly grittier, yeah. person for person sure. than we are now. Now, that's also disregarding what we've been through recently. So a lot of a lot of Americans are having to go through a lot of shit now too so i don't know maybe we would stand a chance but i don't know but we've we've never seen like decades straight decades of like war on our homeland we we never have and revolutions our last revolution was 250 years ago basically some would say it was 160 years ago but that's a different topic different yeah um um yeah no you're right and i i get that but their most recent full-blown revolution was just less hap- than 100 years ago. Or yeah. around 100 years ago. Well, and, and also, I, I would also put their last revolution was 30 years ago. Right, when the, the wall came down and all that. Yeah. Way. I mean, and there was a lot of violence that happened in their satellite countries because of that. So Anyway, let's yeah. not go to war with Russia. Okay? Ever. <laughs> ever. No, ever. Or let's, with anybody. How let's ha- about that? That's even better. Let's always have them as an ally, like we did in World War II. Just in case. Yeah, right? Keep your enemies close. <laughs> uh, yeah, no shit. Like, no. Ugh. Like, whenever, like, when the whole... There are a lot of Russian hockey players in the NHL that mm-hmm. play in big market cities, mm-hmm. obviously. Probably one of the NHL's biggest names, Alexander Ovechkin, mm-hmm. literally plays in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So, like, this whole time when we're trying to bring back this Cold War thing, I doubt anybody asked him. I don't think Ovechkin is no, like no, 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 I just wanted somebody to ask him how he felt as yeah, a Russian fair. in the nation's capital. Right. Yeah, that's fair. As a, not, not like some Russian guy, like he sells no, you a famous, like, like yeah. the most prominent sports player possibly in the history of that city, who was also Russian mm-hmm. while all this shit, I wanted somebody to ask him that question. Yeah. Maybe somebody did. And he was just probably like, well, whatever. He was probably like, no fucking comment. He was probably like, uh, I checked my bank account this morning and things are going yeah, pretty right. well. Um, but I, I always wanted somebody to ask him, like, how do you feel about like this whole resurgence of... Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah. And Anti-Russian you... sentiment, yeah. Specifically because he plays in Washington, D.C. Sure, yeah. No, that's true. That's <laughs> so, true. but anyway, we've, we've ran on long enough as we normally do. I am well done, to... Leanne. Thank you. Again. So, this has been another episode. No, say what I'm, it was. I'm sorry. I, I'm all. I'm all off. That was. That was <laughs> the Nijilin catastrophe, sometimes called the catastrophe at Baikonur. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.